0: Good morning, and I want to just take a moment and welcome you again to Hagerstown Church. I'm sure that you already heard a, uh, a heartfelt welcome, but I want to offer one as well this morning. It really is a joy of mine to be uh, opening the Word of God with you this morning and, uh, and hope that and in faith that He's going to speak to us, that He's going to encourage us. He's going to build up this church. He's going to make much of Christ as we open this book. So I want to invite you to turn with me to the book of Philippians. We're going to be in chapter 1. And uh, last week, we, we just looked at two verses, and it was a really long sermon, so we're going to look at a few more verses today. And I think that there will be a, a, the, 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 the length of time will correlate with the—just uh, just kidding, don't, don't worry. Don't worry too much. Um, hey, if you're ages 3 to 5, uh, before we get started, I want to invite you to, to go to my right, your left, for Hubtown Kids. This morning, parents, as kids are going to be up there in Hubtown Kids, they're going to be learning a little, bit about, a little bit more about this idea that God is self-sufficient. So uh, kids, mom and dad had at one point somebody getting them dressed, uh, and uh, don't, 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 don't giggle too loud, but somebody was changing mom and dad's diapers at some point in their life and feeding them a bottle, and uh, they may be doing it again, sometime sooner than later for some of us. Uh, and at the same time, God has never, ever been dependent on anybody. Nobody's had to uh, burp him. Nobody's ever had to change his diapers. Nobody's ever had to give him uh, a boost. Uh, God is self-sufficient. And uh, that's a wonderful truth. He is wholly different than us. In every single way, the strongest of us are dependent on God and on others. And yet God is totally different in that way. And so that's going to be exciting for them, learning about the the sufficiency, the self-sufficiency of God, the God that we worship. Um, it really is a joy to be with you guys this morning. I would rather be here than First Baptist, although it has been a joy to be at First Baptist. And in faith, I believe that God is leading and, and, and merging our churches together. Uh, formally, that will hopefully uh, take place on September 26th. Uh, there are several uh, steps that have to be, have to, we have to go through to get to that point. Um, But informally, uh, it seems as though God is already weaving together our two churches. We just completed Vacation Bible School. It was a smashing success. Thank you to everybody who served in some way, form, or fashion, either before, during, or even after uh, Vacation Bible School. We have already heard some great reports and in faith believe that God has used that to make much of himself and to strengthen uh, the saints here in Hagerstown. So that is a wonderful update. Uh, Good things are happening at uh, Hagerstown Church. Good things are happening at First Baptist Church as well. All right, let's turn our attention to the word of God. I'm gonna read with you verses uh, three to 11 there in chapter one of Philippians. This is what the word of God says. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you And so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. This is God's word. Let's go to him and ask him to bless it. Father, we make much of you. You are faithful to us. Your word is kindness, faithfully given to us, week in, week out. So we gather this morning Not necessarily to hug necks and to sing a song, but to hear the truths in those songs. To hear the truths that guide our prayers. To hear the truths of Your Word in all of them. And so we quiet our minds. We ask that You do that work in us as we submit to Your Word in faith and in hope. Asking that You complete a little bit more today what You've already begun in so many of us. And we ask that these things be done, Jesus, in your name, amen. All right, last week we quickly just kind of looked at verses 1 through 2, and uh, then we dove off of 1 and 2 into uh, the background to the church at Philippi, which is found in Acts chapter 16. And uh, and we're going to back up just a little bit and uh, kind of go back over verses one and two and then jump into verses three through seven. But before we do that, let me ask you this question. Have you ever started a project and then not finished it? This is a safe place. You can answer that, uh, you can answer that honestly, and, and you won't be judged, at least not by me, because I am in the same boat. One thing I've learned in marriage is that, uh, particularly as it relates to honey-do list, is that it, some projects are difficult to get started, and yet all projects are difficult to finish. Can I get an amen? Can this be that kind of a church? Can we be the kind of church that says amen when something true is said? Amen. Okay, okay. So you're in good company if that's you. You're saying, hey, some projects are difficult to start. All projects are difficult to finish. My wife, uh, my dear wife Sarah, when we close the door, she has a whiteboard mounted on, our t- on, our, on the back of our door. And so as I go to bed, I see, Bill, I see the honey-do list. And it just doesn't seem to get any smaller, uh, no matter how hard I work or don't work. But it, it doesn't get any easier. And it's harder to complete jobs than really it is to start them. Maybe you're agreeing with me. Maybe you'd say that, hey, 80% of the time I can get 80% of the work done, but it's that last 20% that really just seems to be a struggle. If that's your testimony this morning, you, again, you're in good company. And yet when we think about God, he is not like that at all. God finishes everything that he starts. And that's the big idea this morning. I want you to write this down if you're taking notes. This is the main idea for the day. God will finish what he started. And as a result of that, what are we to do? What role do we play in God finishing what he started? We pray and we work to that end. And we do so in faith. God will finish what he started. We could really close the book right now, sing a few songs of praise. But I'm a Baptist pastor. We're not going to do that. We're going to keep going. And as we go, we're going to see three things that Paul found, and I hope that we find them as well. First, we're going to see that Paul found joy and fellowship. Paul found joy in fellowship. We're going to keep going, and we're going to see that Paul found confidence in God. He found confidence in God. And finally, all these related really to prayer, this context, greater context of prayer in these verses, we find that Paul found direction in Scripture. Paul found direction in Scripture, so, just as Paul found them, I pray that we will find them as well. Let's jump into the text this morning. First there in verse 1, it says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, we ask the question, who are the saints at Philippi? We asked that question last week. And as a result of studying Acts chapter 16, we put together this list. It's a short list, but it's a list. It's a start. There's a, young, there's a woman by the name of Lydia. Lydia is a businesswoman, and as she faithfully uh, did, executed her duties throughout the day starting this business. She's an entrepreneur. At the same time, she was faithful to worship God there on the weekends, uh, just like many of us and many of those here in greater Hagerstown. Um, but there's something unique about Lydia. She had her heart opened to hear the good news that Paul was preaching. Her life was changed that Sabbath day there outside the city gates of Philippi, down by the river. So that's one lady Lydia, and we know that her family as well also believed the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they also were added to the church. And then we took a little bit of a stretch here, and we said the woman, the young lady who was a slave both to demons and to humans, was set free from the demons in the name of Jesus. We thought, well, there's a good chance that she also turned from her sins and received the free gift of grace through faith there that day. We thought maybe she's part of the church of Philippi as well. And then finally, we saw the Philippian jailer, the miracle that took place there of the precise earthquake that set all the prisoners free, the the miracle that took place there that would lead a man that had been imprisoned falsely, maligned, and even beaten, and then put in a damp, disgusting prison that he could praise God in the midst of all. That was another miracle. And then finally, the third miracle in there that we didn't talk much about last week, uh, not in this context, but... Miraculously set free was the Philippian jailer receiving Christ, turning from his sin, and not just he, but also his family. That's the church at Philippi. That's Philippi church, if you will. I want you to notice something else quickly. This is for free, but just something to make you aware of. Who is this letter written to? You can answer that. Who's the letter written to? The church at Philippi. Who's at the church at Philippi? Who's it actually written to? What does it say? It's written to the saints. It's written to the Christians. It, are you sure it's not written first to the pastors, first to the bishops and the, and the deacons? Is it written to them? No. Who is it written to? The, to the general congregation there at Philippi. And that fits well into our Baptist polity as we believe that, hey, we all have a responsibility to hear the word of God and to do the word of God and not just the pastors. But continuing to move on. Verse two, there's a greeting here. Grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. We read that, we hear that, and we think, oh, this is just a pithy, culturally appropriate statement. That's how you greet people in this day and age. And that's partially true, but there's so much more than this. Paul is reminding the saints at Philippi of a deep theological truth, that they were once enemies of God, and now, because of Christ, they have been brought near, as, as Ephesians chapter 2 says, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. Paul is saying grace and peace to you. Church, again, this, that's the second sermon, and we're not even into the meat of it. We could close the book, praise God, and go home happy. But we're not going to do that. We're going to keep going. But think about this. Grace and peace has been extended to you through Christ Jesus. Grace and peace, there we go, amen, right? Grace and peace has been extended to you, not just to the Church of Philippi, but Christian to you as well. And I wanna take a moment and just say this. If you're here this morning, perhaps God is opening your mind just like he did Lydia. He's opening your heart to hear the gospel. Maybe this morning as a result of God's word preached, you'll see your own sin a little clearer and you'll feel the weight of it. And maybe you'll see the holiness of God His wrath that burns against those who sin. But you'll also see the cross of Christ and how those who turn from their sin and turn to Christ can receive this grace and can receive this peace that the church at Philippi so wonderfully enjoyed. Just as we do this morning, Hagerstown Church, so can you. Those who were far have been brought near by the blood of Christ. He is our peace. At any rate, Paul goes on and he says in verse 3, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. You guys need to know something about Paul. You probably already know this. He is a prayer warrior. He really is. He thanks God in all his remembrances of this church. That's a great method, by the way. If you say, well, hey, I wish I could pray more for people. Well, it, some, some of you are going to be really uh, uh, you know, type A, and you're going to make a list, and you're going to schedule all your prayer times, and that's going to be great. That's, if that works, great. It does for me. Uh, some of you might uh, be a little bit more organic, and this is a great method. Every time Paul says that he remembers the church at Philippi, he prays for them, and he does so with joy and gratitude. That's a great thing to do. Anytime you think of somebody, mom, dad, every time you think of your children, pray for them. That's a great thing to do. Every time you think about our ascending church, every time you think about First Baptist Church, every time you think about St. Mark's Lutheran Church, pray for them. Every time you think about Afghanistan and the pastors over there that so desperately, so desperately need prayers, pray for them. Paul says, I'm always doing that. He's a prayer warrior. We also see that there's evidence of him doing that in other letters that he writes. Almost every letter he writes, he includes his contents of his prayers. Even in Romans chapter one, verses nine and ten he says, For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son, that without ceasing I mention you, always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may at last succeed in coming to you. Paul's a prayer warrior. Every time he thinks of them, he prays for them. That's a great thing for us to, uh, to assume in our lives as well. But I want you to notice the emotional language that Paul uses in connection with his prayer for the people there at Philippi, for the church there. He talks about himself being filled with gratitude. He's thankful to God for his brothers and sisters in Philippi. Furthermore, when he prays for them, which was often, right, he does so with what? With Joy. He makes his prayer with joy. Both gratitude and joy are emotional responses that Paul experiences in regards to what? Not just his prayer, but in regard to his fellowship with the saints. Fellowship. You know, many of us just spent, uh, many of you were involved in Vacation Bible School at First Baptist Church. And we met there in Harris Hall, which is their fellowship And so when we think of fellowship, if we have any history uh, in the church, we might think, well, fellowship is something that we do after the service. It typically involves fried chicken, but it might be something else. Um, and, And that's true, because fellowship is sharing something one with the other, one with another. It means to share in something. And what is Paul thinking of when he says that he shares something with these folks in Philippi? What do they have in common? Fried chicken, afternoon socials, hymn sings, some of those. But I would give you three. One, they share a common Savior. They share a common Savior. Think of this. It's obvious, but think of it. The same Lord that opened the heart of Lydia, allowing her to understand and believe and respond in faith to the gospel, is the same Lord... The same Savior that met Paul on that Damascus road. Think of it. They had the same Savior. The same one that enabled them to believe. The same one that called them to repent. The same one that opened their blind eyes. They both worshipped. They both followed them. Think of this. The same communion table that Paul would go to and that Lydia went to, even though they were hundreds of miles apart, at this particular point in time, As Philippians is being read, it's the same table, representative of the same Lord. Furthermore, this morning, think of this. When we think of the fellowship that we have with the brothers and sisters in Afghanistan, you say, well, what do we have in common with them? I don't have an experience with them. We don't really have the same goal. It's not manifest in the same way there as it is here. But here's what we do have in common with our brothers and sisters there in Afghanistan that we have the same Savior and we come to the same table and we receive the same grace. And Paul says this. Paul says, when I think of the fellowship that I have with you, he says, it leads me to gratitude and it leads me to joy. And so they share a Savior. But they don't just share a Savior. They have something a little bit uh, more than that. And not that we need anything more than that. But they do have something more than that. They both were there in Philippi, both Lydia and Paul. And that slave girl and that Philippian jailer and all of their families were all there when they saw what? When they saw the miraculous birthing of a Philippian church there in Macedonia. They saw the powerful stories woven together, of repentance and faith, and got opening blind eyes. In Acts 16, how does it end? It ends with Paul emotionally saying, I just got out of prison. And he limps over to where the church meets and he meets with the brothers. And that means the sisters and the brothers. He meets together. Why? They had a shared experience. They had a common Savior. They had a common experience. And they met together as a local church. And they made much of Jesus together. Which was the third thing that they shared in, that they fellowshipped in together. They had a common goal. And that goal was the glory of God and the spread of the gospel. The glory of God and the spread of his gospel. We see this partnership, and we'll continue to see it as we work through Philippians, that the Philippian church was a praying church. And they prayed to the same end that Paul prayed to. They were a giving church, and they gave to the same end that Paul gave to. And Finally, they were a going church. They were a sending church. Just as Hagerstown Church is a sending church, just as our sending church was a sending church, right? They sent Epaphroditus, and we'll leave him alone for the night, for this morning, but they used everything they had for this common goal that they shared with Paul. And so when Paul speaks of the partnership, when he speaks of the fellowship that he has with this church, he's thinking of a Savior. He's thinking of this experience, and he's thinking of this shared goal, that they're all working together, that they're holding in common. So they have this deep, deep fellowship. But furthermore, I want you to notice the timestamps on this relationship that Paul gives us. The timestamps that Paul gives us on this relationship. On this relationship, what does he say? He says, from the first day until now. This is the bracket that he's working with. He's saying, from when the first time that you heard the gospel and and it rushed into Philippi and, and, and built this church... Until this day, he's saying that that fellowship has not ceased to exist. It's likely, again, that 10 years have passed from that first day until now that Paul is writing this letter. First time that he comes 10 years earlier to Philippi. What's happened? They've stayed committed to one another throughout all that time. These saints, they were committed to one another. They were committed to Paul. Uninterrupted communion uninterrupted fellowship. We've all made those friends at summer camp. Yeah, there's a little bit of guilt tripping I'm going to throw on you. I'm in there too, right? We've all made those summer camp friends at the end of fourth grade and at the end of seventh grade and at the end of twelfth grade. We're like, we'll never forget each other. You're writing each other's uh, book. You're like, yeah, we'll always remain besties and whatever, whatever you say now. You'll always be my, my people, my bros. And it's like, we're, we're moving apart. I'm moving to Seattle. Oh, but we're still gonna talk every day, right? You did that before, right? We've all done that. And many of those we've made good on. Many of those relationships we've continued. And yet oftentimes we don't, right? And I'm not trying to heap up guilt on you, but do you know what? That's not what happens between Paul and Paul. And that emotional parting there at the end of Acts 16, and Paul goes and sees the brothers, and I'm sure they said things like this. We're going to write to each other. We're going to stay in touch. We're going we're You tell us what needs you have. We're going to help to meet your needs. And they walk away. Maybe they're thinking, eh, maybe this will happen, maybe it won't. Well, Ten years later, Paul is saying, hey, you're still going. We're still, we're st- we still have this partnership. It's not stopped. You're committed. I'm committed. It's great. We really have fellowship. We really do. I want you to know this. That when it comes to fellowship, the richer the sharing, one between the other, the deeper the commitment, over a course of, or a period of time, the greater the joy. I'm going to say that again. When it comes to fellowship, the richer the sharing, the deeper the commitment, the greater the joy. This is what we see in Paul's life. Paul has a rich, deep sharing and fellowship. He has a rich, deep commitment one with the other. And what happens when he thinks of them? Joy spills over. Paul found that thing that we need to find. He found joy in fellowship. I know many of you have experienced that sort of joy before. Maybe even presently in this congregation, I think to uh, our, our brother, Tim, his wife, Jill. We just sent them out. Tim, one of my dearest friends, co-founder of Hagerstown Church, humanly speaking, and we sent him to Baltimore. I think about that life. I think about the things that we've shared. Often, thank you, Apple, often I'll see pictures throughout our history together pop up on my iPad or pop up on my phone. And in those moments, I will rejoice and thank God you've been kind to me to give me a brother such as Tim. Why? Because as our fellowship has increased, and our sharing has increased. So has our commitment. And so has our joy. The richer the sharing, the deeper the commitment, the greater the joy. Is that not true in all relationships, not just in the church? You think you know your spouse on the day of your wedding, and yet on that day it's kind of in a way just beginning. You're just there beginning to see the, the deeper meaning of this person whom you say you love. You begin to share more and more with that person. The commitment, if it continues to increase, what happens? As those two things increase, uh, uh, sharing with one another and committedness to one another, the joy increases as well. That's the case in this church. It's the case in the life of the saints as they congregate together. Look at what Paul says in verse 6. In the context of prayer, And thinking of these brothers and sisters and the joy and fellowship that he has, he says, I'm sure of this thing, that he who began a work, a good work in you, will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Folks at Philippi, they were dear friends to Paul. He had seen the incredible start, the miraculous start to their new life in Jesus Christ. And from the beginning up until now, they had remained faithful to one another and to their Lord, and to their goal. But Paul's also looking at them and he's saying, hey, but now's not the end. You see, there's three timestamps. We looked at two of them. One is the day that this all started. The second is right now, but the third is the day of Jesus Christ. Paul's saying, there's still room for you, church at Philippi, to grow. There's still work for you to do for God. And Paul is saying, I am confident that one day you will be made complete. That the work that Christ is doing in you, the work that Christ is doing through you, will be brought to finality. You'll be brought to spiritual maturity. The work and fellowship and partnership that you have one with the another, there even in Philippi and around the world, is soon going to come to completion, and that in the day of Jesus Christ. So there's still truths to learn. There's still sin to repent of. There's still deeds to be done, good deeds. And Paul is saying, hey, Hagerstown Church, God has been working in and through you. He's been working through you. I can say that too. I can say that. I've seen sin be repented of. I've seen people turn from, want, from, turn from darkness and turn from light. I've seen the water stirred. I've seen men lead their families. I've seen what's been covered uncovered. I've seen restoration. I've seen so many beautiful things. I've seen Christ working in the people that comprise Hagerstown Church. And I can also say this. I've seen Him not just work in you, but I've seen Him work through you. Year after year, so many years, right? God has used our church to send both to local missionaries and foreign missionaries. Even this morning, as we made much and prayed for the work that's going on with the Watsons in in Asia, I've seen God use this congregation to encourage and even provide for that work there. But I can say this too: that as as much as God has been working in you, and as much as God has been working through you, He is not done. There is still work to be done. There is still more of Christ to be formed and shaped in each of you. There is still the work of Christ that needs to be done through us collectively. He's not done. We still need to grow. We still need to serve. And it won't be finished, although it will be finished, it won't be finished until the day of Jesus Christ, when He returns. There's a lot more to do. Hagerstown Church, we have much to do. Great deeds have been done. Offerings have been giving, given. When you think about the, the merged potential between Hagerstown Church and First Baptist Church, we even think of buildings have been built, missionaries have been sent, churches have been planted, and yet still God wants to do more and intends to do more. So many more gospel conversations that will be had with neighbors. So many more souls that will be saved. Lord willing, many more vacation Bible schools will be taught. Paul has confidence, though, not in man, but he has confidence in God. When he sees all the work that's been done and he sees all the work that's yet to be done, he has confidence that it will be completed when God works. And so that's the second thing that Paul found. He found confidence in God. And I hope that you also as a result of looking back at what God has done in your life and as you look forward we'll also say the same thing that I have confidence in God. Church, God always finishes what he starts. He always does. I mean, I love how that drum is beat in Genesis chapter 2. You can turn there if you want. Write it down. It's it's so good. It, Genesis chapter 2 verses 1 through 3. This is what it says. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. They were finished, all of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done, right? And so God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. What does God want us to know? He was done, he was finished, much like your kids think they are when you've told them to do a job and they do part of it and then they sit down and do whatever else because they think they're done. Not unlike that, God was truly finished. That's how God works in creation. That's how we've seen Him work. What about salvation? John chapter 19, verses 30 and 31. When Jesus had received the sour wine as He's hanging on the cross, He's completed the work that God has called Him to do up until this point, and what does He say? It is is finished and he bows his head and he gives up his spirit he he was done he finished his work paul's confidence is based on the god that finishes what he does what he starts in creation it's confident and and based on what god has done in salvation it's not confident in man he knows that the philippian church on their own, just like you, Hagerstown Church, are dead in their sins. Dead in their sins, but in Christ, through Christ, they are alive unto God. Can you be sure that Christ will complete His work in you? Can you be sure that God will complete His work through you? Can you be sure that He will finish your sanctification? Yes, it is more sure than the sun rising tomorrow. It's more sure. Your sanctification is more sure than the sun rising tomorrow. Think of that. Do you have confidence in God in the same manner that Paul does? And think of this. There's a correlation between Paul's prayer and his confidence in God. Think of that, the correlation between Paul's praying, his prayer, and his confidence in God. I've said something like this before, but it's a little different today. Prayer is manifest dependence on God. Praying is your dependence on God made manifest. Approaching it from a different angle. You demonstrate your dependence on God by praying to God. So Paul's doing that very thing. He's praying to God, faithfully praying to God, and he's demonstrating his confidence in God. And so church, there's work to be done, there's room to grow, trust this, the work will be done, and it will be done by God. And if you believe that, if you truly believe that the work that he's going to do in your life, and that he's going to do through your life, if you truly believe it's going to happen, demonstrate that by praying. Demonstrate that by praying just as Paul did. He loves these people. He's confident that God will work and continue to work in and through them until Christ returns. Look at verse 7. It says, It's right for me to feel this way about you all. It's right for me to feel this joy. It's right for me to feel this gratitude. And even more than that, it's right for me to feel confident that God's going to finish the work that he started. And by the way, just quickly, how could Paul say that? Think about that. How could Paul say he's confident that Christ would finish a work that he started in that church unless he had seen Christ working in their lives? Unless he'd spent time with them? Brothers and sisters, this is one of the greatest benefits of being committed to a local church, that somebody can say of you, I know, because I've seen him working in your life. You have allowed me to step into, peer into your life. You've allowed me to see evidences of God working. And because of that that I've seen, I am confident that he's going to continue working and do and finish what he's already started. It's one of the benefits. It's one of the real, true joys of being committed into a fellowship, to a local church. Paul loved these saints. He offers prayers to God for them. They are soaked in gratitude. They're overflowing with joy. They're based out of true fellowship, and they're founded on a God-centered confidence. But what about the content of Paul's prayers? We know he loved this church. We know that he had joy and fellowship with them. We know that he had confidence in God. But what did Paul actually pray for this church? What did he actually pray? Look at verse 9. It says, And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. My prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. Here's what Paul's saying. I see so much love in your life. Paul had recently received a, a gift, an offering, a love gift from that church. They'd given, sacrificed, and sent to Paul. And Paul's saying, I, I see the love. I see this fruit in your life. But he's saying, I also see that that love needs to continue to grow. And not just that that love should continue to grow, but so should your knowledge. And and, and coupled with your knowledge is discernment. It should grow as well. And maybe this isn't a one for one, but I think it's a helpful picture for us to think about when we see or read this prayer that Paul has about increasing, abounding love and knowledge and discernment. I think it'd be helpful for you to think about it in, in terms of this. Paul wanted them to increase, to be strengthened in their heart their love, both for God and for one another. He wanted their minds to be strengthened. He wanted them to understand, yes, systematic theology. He wanted them to be students of the word of God, just like the Bereans, just like he commanded Paul or Timothy to do. And 2 Timothy chapter 2, he said, study, study the word of God, study the scriptures, be increased in knowledge. And then he says, and with your love increasing, and with your through your heart, and with your knowledge increasing through your mind, also let your discernment, the application of that love, the application of that knowledge, let the hands also be strengthened. He's saying, let the love of Christ be in you. Let the mind of Christ be in you. And let the work of Christ be in you. He's saying, I see good things, but there's room to grow so if that's maybe your story, maybe that's your life. You look at yourself and you say, well, hey, I'm I'm strong in a couple of these areas, but I still have lots of room to grow. Paul's not calling them out. He's not attacking them. But he's lovingly praying for them and encouraging them along by sharing that prayer with them. They had grown in love, but they needed to increase in knowledge and discernment. Maybe for you it's the opposite. For the Philippians, they had this strong sense of love and and giving, but they still were immature in some sense in the faith. Paul writes to them and warns them about false teachers. But maybe that's not your problem. Maybe you've got the false teaching thing down pat. You've got all the knowledge maybe that one could really expect or even ask for. Maybe your discernment is strong as well, but when it comes to love, maybe you're not as strong. Or maybe you have all the love and you have all the knowledge, but when it comes to discernment, when it comes to truly working those things out in your context, maybe you're not as strong there. And Paul is saying, my prayer is that all three of these things together would increase together, that they would correlate in their growth one to another. It's a comprehensive growth plan. Paul has confidence that God will do that work in that church. As we think about this idea of what Paul's praying for, I want to give you a couple of helpful questions. So if you're taking notes, I've got three questions for you to ask yourself as it relates to Paul's prayer here. First is this. What is my heart's motivation? What is your heart's motivation? Is your impulse in this particular situation that you're struggling with, is your impulse born from love of God and love of neighbor? Or is it love of self? You do what you do, it's been said, because you want what you want. And so what's your heart motivation? Do you need to grow in love? What's your heart motivation? Another question I think you could ask yourself, even following this, one of the heart motivation is, what biblical principles are relevant here in this particular situation? What biblical principles are relevant here? And so define the terms. Ask the Word of God what it says about these particular things, about this issue that you're facing, about this area. And this is where the knowledge comes in, right? This is where it's helpful to know what the Word of God actually says. And when it's coupled, the Word of God, the knowledge of God, and the knowledge of man, when that's coupled with a right motivation, a love of God and a love of neighbor, it so easily will lead to, or more easily lead to, rightly applying what God would have you to do. WWJD, right? The final question, and by the way, WWJD is not necessarily the one, but feel free to write that down. What would Jesus do? I think it's helpful as well. But the final question that I would give you is this. Accordingly, according to what you've been review, what's been revealed to you about your heart motivation and about the biblical principles, accordingly, what action do you need to take Again, so many of us, we stop short. We have love for our neighbor. We have love for God. It needs to grow, but we've got it. And we have some idea of knowledge, and maybe we're even passionate about that. And yet so often, we fail on this final step, taking action, actually applying the principles that we have that we've been given. And so don't stop short. Knowing something is not enough. Enough. Having the right answers is not enough. We're to act. We're to act. Jesus, with the, all the love in the world, and Jesus, with all the knowledge that could be had, He didn't stop there. He acted. And so should we. But continuing on, why should we Pursue the mind of Christ. Why should we pursue the, the love and the heart of Christ and the hands of Christ to be manifest in our own lives? So, Because of verse 10. So that you may approve what is excellent. What happens when you become more like Christ in your mind, in your heart, in your hands? Well, you, have, you begin to have this mental clarity in your life as to what is most important. What should be a priority and how you should act and make wise spiritual decisions? It helps you to understand what is actually excellent and to act in a way that is pure and to lead you to, see the, the, to be filled with the fruit of righteousness unto the day that Jesus Christ returns. Two passages that I don't... mean to spend a lot of time in this morning, but I just want to give them to you that I think would be helpful in your personal study, maybe in your family devotion and worships, uh, or maybe in your personal time, that would be great as well. But those are Galatians chapter 5 verses 22 to 24 and John 15, 1 through 5. These are wonderful passages to use as background to what Paul is praying for the church at Philippi. In Galatians chapter 5, he's talking about the fruits of the spirit. And what are the fruits of the Spirit? He he lists them out for us. In John chapter 15, Jesus, speaking, says, I am the true vine. My Father is the vine dresser. You guys are branches. And if you're not connected to me, the vine, you're not going to be able to produce any fruit. What is that fruit? See Galatians chapter 5. Paul, when he speaks of this, he says... My goal for you, my prayer for you, is that you'll be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. I want you to notice the depths of Paul's prayer for these saints. I' want to ask this question: Where do you think Paul learned to pray like this? Just by show of hands, how many of you struggle sometimes to find the right thing to pray? I've recommended the books. Many of you have read the book. We had it for sale for some time here on this resource table, but it's called Praying the Bible, written by Donald Whitney. And his simple premise is this. Hey, do you want to pray real uh, strong prayers? Do you want your prayers to even be answered? Do you want to have a richer prayer life? He simply says this, pray the Bible. Pray the Bible. Let the Word of God teach you how to pray, and let it fill you the content of your prayers. You probably noticed that the pastoral prayer that we pray every Sunday morning is soaked with the Word of God. So was Jesus' prayers. So were Paul's prayers. And if we want to pray like them, well, we listen to them, but we listen to them in the Word of God. We can learn to pray like Jesus by emulating Jesus. When it came to prayer, Paul found direction in Scripture. He found direction in the teaching of Jesus Christ. And so should you. So that final thing that we see that Paul found, that we hope to find as well, is as it relates to prayer, that we would find direction in Scripture. And how should you be praying for others the way that Paul prayed, the way that Jesus prayed? What did Jesus pray for? Does anybody Can you, can you think of what Jesus prayed for? This is a great exercise shout it out what did jesus pray for he prayed that the father's will would be done what else did jesus pray for he prayed father forgive them they don't know what they're doing forgive them he prayed that salvation would come that forgiveness would be made available to the enemies of god we should pray the same let's keep going what other things did jesus pray for that we should pray for as well Unity in the church, laborers in the harvest, sanctification of the saints. These are things that Jesus prayed for. And yet so often our prayers can be so simple and shallow and void of Scripture. God, thank you for this food. it to our bodies. Amen. God, be with these people. Amen. God, help those in Afghanistan. Amen. In Jesus' name. Hey, th- th- those are helpful prayers. They're great, but but what would it look like for us to allow the Word of God to truly transform and shape our prayers like Jesus did? We would do well to pray like Jesus. For for you that are committed members of, of Hagerstown Church, you might say, well, what are some ways, Josh, that we can be praying for one another? Well, I would say to you, the one tool that we have is the prayer directory, In the prayer directory, is a list of all of those who are committed to Christ here at Hagerstown Church. Furthermore, there's a list of ways that you can be praying in there. And those prayer requests have been gathered from our covenant. They've been gathered from our church covenant. And the the church covenant has been gathered from the Word of God. All informed and shaped by the Word of God. And so one of the ways that we should be praying for one another is by praying the church covenant over one another. That's a wonderful resource for you. Take the the directory to take the covenant and pray in some systematic way, whatever works for you, through both of those two things. Is there a better way to pray than by reading Scripture and praying Scripture, praying the way that Jesus prayed, praying the way that Paul prayed? I think not. Would you be committed to pray, church, as Paul did, to pray for the saints, to pray for the saints at Hagerstown Church? This past week, along with many of you, I surveyed the property at First Baptist Church there at High Street. And I came across the, the foundational stones that were laid well over 100 years ago under the front stairs there at the corner of High Street and Washington Street. You could see every rock that was laid, the mortar joints between them. And it's kind of scary, and there's spiders back down there, right? But those rocks were laid a long time ago. What, what, what happened there? Well, that, that building began to be built well over 100 years ago. And by my estimation, the building was complete because the steeple rests on the very top. It's still there today, and the lights still shine in the evening. It was completed long ago. And just as sure as I know that that building was completed. The the first stone was laid. And then one day soon after, the steeple was set. There's still work to be done here in Hagerstown. And God, just as sure as that building was built and completed, this church will be done as well. God will finish what He started. And so, Hagerstown Church, pray and work to that end. He is building something Out of us. And he will complete it. I want to invite you to pray with me. And as you do, with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I want to to ask you to just spend some time reflecting on these truths. Spend some time reflecting on what God is doing in the life of this congregation through this word preached. I'm not sure what he is... Calling you to do, but maybe it's to step into deeper fellowship and to experience a greater level of joy than you currently are right now. And maybe that means this morning allowing people to really know you and to see you in a real way. We could talk a lot about church membership and being committed to the saints, but at the end of the day, you know that you can be a member of a church and yet still not really be known. Still hide behind a wall and not let people see you. And I'm promising you this right now. You may think that you're going to experience some level of joy, but the greater that you have this fellowship, the the stronger your commitment, the greater realization of joy in your life you'll experience. So maybe it means really allowing people to know you. We joked earlier about this idea that, hey, if if you're not a finisher... You, you don't have to be ashamed. You don't have to be embarrassed. You're in good company. Listen, we're all in process here. Every single one of us. He's still working on us. and It's okay to let people really know you. We're all broken. He's working in each of us. Maybe if you are a member this morning, maybe allowing the Word of God to work and, and your life would be maybe mean this taking your membership more seriously committing to pray for the, for, the, for the saints the brothers and sisters here whatever it is I pray that you would step deeper into this fellowship and that you would thereby experience a greater level of joy but maybe this morning you realize there's still work to be done in your life there's still work to be completed by God in your life but you struggle to have confidence in His sanctifying power in your life Maybe there's still some indwelling sin that no matter what you do, no matter what you say, you can't be rid of. And maybe you you've begin to lose confidence in God working in your life. I want to invite you to repent of that this morning. He promised. Look at the sun. Look at the earth. Look at humanity. He has finished his work of creation. He's finished the work of salvation. You're justified if you're in Christ. And just as sure as you're justified, you will be sanctified. Don't lose hope. Retain confidence in God. And then finally, maybe just this this morning, God, working in your life is something simple like, hey, I'm going to start praying for my brothers and sisters. Maybe that's where you're at this morning. As a matter of fact, I don't know where you're at. Maybe you're going in a totally different direction, but I want to encourage each and every one of you, if you say, I don't know what to do right now, how do I respond? I want to to invite you. Make an altar where you're at right now. This isn't really our culture, but why don't you just get down on your hands and knees right there at your seat and ask God, pray the covenant, pray the word of God over the people of God here in the house of God. Maybe that's what God's calling you to do this morning. Would you pray now? That the things that he promised he would do for Hagerstown Church, that he really would do them. Step into deeper fellowship. Trust in God's completed work. Pray for one another. Church, God will finish what he started. Just you reflect on that, spend some time in prayer. God, you've invited us into prayer. You've invited us into this conversation with you, and you've given us, as it were, a script. You've taught us how to pray through your word. We pray that we would listen. God, that your church, we ask that you would use us, that you would use our prayers to work your will here in this world. Father, we pray that your will would be done in Hagerstown as it is in heaven. God, we know that your will for us is that your church be sanctified. We know that your will for us is that this this city, that shining in its face would be the, the light of the gospel, that Jesus would be raised high. We trust that that will be done. We ask that you do that through our vacation Bible schools, through our hymns, As we sing them together, even just a few weeks from now, Father, we pray that through the merge that Jesus would be glorified. God, we believe that you are still working. We've seen you work. We celebrate it now, and we continue to pray and work towards the end of your will being done here in our lives as it is in heaven. Jesus, we ask that these things be done in your name. The name above all names. Amen.